0: giving people freedom and the trust and empowering the kids Mm. to make those decisions. And then being able, like when they make a decision that's probably not of service to them, allow them to learn from it. Mm-hmm. Allow them to grow from it, but maybe you do have to ground them if they make poor decisions, but make sure they understand why. And usually the kids will be really responsive if like, they know they made a bad decision and you just mm-hmm. allow them the freedom to really learn from that mm-hmm. and not feel like they are getting in trouble, but that they are uh, being allowed their consequences to their behaviors, you know, Mm -hmm. and that's hugely important is letting them learn how to take responsibility for (laughs) themselves and allow them their consequences. Hello
1: and welcome to Blissful Parenting. I'm your host, Michelle Abraham, bringing you another fabulous guest today. I'm super excited. I met this woman a few weeks ago and was so inspired by her story. And uh, I just thought that we needed to bring her on the show like soon, because this is a topic that's coming up in more and more family conversations. And it's definitely a tricky one to navigate around. So I'd love to introduce you to Jennifer Manili today, She is an addiction strategist. Jennifer is the founder of Minnily Consulting, which is a coaching firm with families who have loved ones in addiction or trauma-related substance abuse. So she works with families to help them develop strategies and coach them on getting set effective, supportive, and loving boundaries so their loved ones can get the help that they need. I think that's so amazing, Jennifer. And along with the coaching she does, she's also written a book, which is number one best selling author of Dear Parents, Strategies to Help Your Loved Ones Through Addiction. And I think that was one of the things that really caught my attention about Jennifer's book. Like, oh, to your parents. I'm like, this is going to be a good one because she's gone through all this herself and is now on the other side and helping parents through this whole situation with their kids. So welcome, Jennifer. Thank you for being on our show today. I'm super excited to dive into this topic with you.
0: Well, thank you so much for having me. I am so honored to be on your show and here and and talking to your parents about this stuff. I think it's hugely valuable to get the right information for if this ever happens down the line. So
1: absolutely, like I think the more we can like hear about this conversation and open this conversation up now, well, maybe some of our kids are still a little bit on the young side, like mine are. I know for our families that have been listening. a few years now, their kids are now growing older and this is maybe something that they're facing now in their home. So yeah. I'd love to just back up the, back up the story a little bit. So mm-hmm. can you tell us a little bit about how this came to be a business for you and how this, how this all came about in your family?
0: Sure. Well, so as you kind of had mentioned, like I had been through my own sets of addictions and stuff, and it took me a long time to even figure out for myself that I had a problem. And I see a lot of other people really struggling with that concept as well, whether it's on the family side, or whether it's, you know, the person that's using substances, this is a very tricky area for people to be able to admit that this is happening. But I finally got to the place where I could admit it. And I started, you know, getting help some help for myself. And as the years went on, and you know, I get into recovery, and I'm doing really well, all of a sudden you know, I got into corporate leadership of all places, really. So I, I, you know, I went back to college, I started working with the senior executive leadership coach. And we were going into companies and I was kind of started out as like her content manager, the back end person, kind of just doing the stuff. And then she started realizing some other like really great skills that I had and started putting me more in front of her own clients. And then interesting thing that started happening was these senior executives had these kids that were really struggling. And so they were coming to me and asking for suggestions, help, advice, guidance. And, you know, I always wanted to offer that service in terms of just giving back and just really wanted to help them. But there's so much that goes into it and so many dynamics. It was really hard in just one phone conversation or two phone conversations to get them where they needed to be. And I always wanted to offer them more. And I was like, please call me, please use me, please, you know, all this stuff, because I really, really wanted them to get the support and help that they needed while their kids, their loved ones were going through all this stuff. And when I say kids, I mean, these could be the 15 year olds that are medicine cabinet shopping or anywhere from your 25, 30 year old that's still doing, because they're always going to be your kids, no matter how old they get. They're 50 years old. They're still always going to be your kids. So that's how I refer to them, but it's not necessarily just like the little tiny ones, but they weren't using me because they weren't going to abuse my time, but I really wanted to support them. And so that's really when I branched out on my own and created a business. Cause I was like, well, maybe if we just formatted it and set it up so that they're paying for that service. They would utilize me like they needed to. And they would just say, well, I'm paying for this. So I'm going to, you know, show up for myself. And basically that's what people do is they show up for themselves. I could have gone off and done a whole lot of other things, (laughs) Mm -hmm. but I really, really wanted to support that community and created a business out of it so that they could get the help that they needed. That's amazing. So is that
1: where your first clients first came from? That group of executive Mm -hmm executives whose kids were struggling. Interesting. And is that still the case today? Those are still the same sort Um,
0: of- Sometimes, but not always. Now it's kind of morphed into some different sets of people. So um, I have people anywhere that are coming to me from- they're a little older. They're retired, or they're on a fixed income, or they're just these kind of not senior executives. And so, I've really have developed a lot of different programs to meet everyone's needs because mm-hmm. they think that everyone has needs that are different. I wanted to make sure that everyone was able to support. So, no, it's not just the corporate, although, you know, that is kind of like my specialty, but at the same time i can i've worked with a, a large range of, of people that's great and so for us parents listening to this today you know maybe
1: we don't necessarily have an issue in our household yet what are some things that we could be doing as a preventative measure just to like open up the conversation with our kids and how young is too young to start this conversation yeah. with them
0: you know i think i don't know that So there's not necessarily a specific age, but I do know like when they start getting in their teenage years and they start trying to look and find themselves and you can really tell if it's going down a certain road by who they're hanging out with, what are some of the needs. Mm -hmm. If they've had some traumatic events, they're at higher risk. I'm not saying that that's necessarily the case, but there's certain criteria or things that I've experienced that we kind of all have and trauma is a big one. When you start looking at that, when we are able to just kind of sit back and I think the biggest help that parents can do, even from a young age, is start allowing them to figure things out for themselves, support mm-hmm. them love them, but allow them to fix their own problems. And I think that, you know, when they're still in the house and they're still teenagers, even in in high school, sometimes parents can really, they want to fix all their problems, especially if trauma is involved. And especially if they have some sort of guilt or shame involved in that trauma, they want mm. to fix, they want to fix it you know, and sometimes the kids problems aren't the parents problems to fix. Mm -hmm. You know, people have to kind of figure that stuff out for them, but being supportive and loving Mm -hmm. through it is very much a big thing, but not to necessarily fall into that enabling, which is very enabling what's like fixing the problem. (laughs) Right. So
1: the traumas we're talking about, like right now would be like a a bullying situation at school, maybe, or like Mm -hmm. a boyfriend, girlfriend, breaking up situation, or maybe friends not being nice kind of situation in high school. Those kind of the traumas we're talking about. Are we talking about more deeper, harder traumas that like, you know, a separation in the family or a death in the family or those kind of traumas you think?
0: A lot of times my experience isn't necessarily like, oh, the the person broke up with their significant other in high school kind of trauma. Mm-hmm. It, it is more of that like deeper level. Maybe mm-hmm. there was sexual abuse, mm-hmm. physical abuse. Maybe it, it was a death of a parent or someone close to them, mm-hmm. especially from a young age. Mm-hmm. It usually happens during those critical development, those that brain development at eight and younger, if there's trauma from eight and younger, it kind of does some things to the brain, <laughs> but it doesn't mean that they're destined <laughs> okay. for addiction. It just means that, that, that's something that is, they're at a little bit higher risk. Yeah. Just be aware of that. So I think like,
1: I think my parents, and we've talked about this before, like I wasn't really, I wasn't really inclined to like, get into the drugs and alcohol in, in high school, I mean, the drinking probably, but not the, not so much well, the drugs. Yeah. But uh, the, uh, you know, and one of the things that my parents said to me, like later on in my 20s is that they, they're glad that they did this is that they were really involved in like, you know, do you guys need to ride somewhere? Can we pick you up from somewhere? Like call us at any time of the night, you know, and by driving us to the movies or to the mall, they got to overhear conversations about what was happening though. Although we weren't necessarily sharing with them, we were forgetting that they're in the car I and mean, they, over kind of getting an idea of who our friends were and like you know the conversations that we were having and the places that we were going and things like that and they thought that was probably one of the better things that they they did as Absolutely. parents to kind of be involved in in their lives without being overly like stepping their boundaries kind of thing
0: <laughs> right and I think that's a good point where it's like you want to be involved in in the kid's life let like know what's going on and support them through their problems. Don't necessarily fix it for them, but as teenagers, and I think sometimes parents can go very reactive when they see certain things because they're like, "Well, I know what I did as a teenager," and you know, like they they get overly suspicious or overly angry at certain situations. And it's, I was never even for me in high school was not when I just started developing my problems. Actually, after high school, when I got out of the house, but I was never really taught, and this you know, hindsight being 2020, this is just the way it is. It's never the parent's responsibility if addiction happens or fault, Mm -hmm. but hindsight being 2020, it's like, I was never taught how to really handle freedom. I was Mm -hmm. never taught how to solve a problem. So like if I went to a party and I got too drunk in high school, when my parents were able to be there to kind of talk me through what happens with drinking too much, what happens in it, in Mm -hmm. that supportive and loving way. It was just like, no, it's my way or the highway kind of, you know, vibe. And, Mm -hmm. and yes, my mom will probably listen to this. And we've had many conversations about this. So she's, we are very open about that time period of the shoulda, and that's one of them where it's like i just never really knew how to deal with freedom. so when i got out of the house, i didn't know how to deal with anything. because mm-hmm. and i didn't have the support from my parents to kind of teach me at that point. so interesting. so what do you think some
1: things some parents could do now that would kind of encourage those kind of boundaries or those kind of conversations to like help you help their kids feel more prepared for that, like total freedom and not just like the wild, like, you know, it's so like when actually, you know, I kind of experienced that myself where, uh, the day after I graduated high school, I was on a plane to Switzerland and they lived there for a year as a nanny. I got a job, mm. but so I was living in another family's house, but like every weekend I was out partying all nights of the hour with all my friends there. And like, you know, I did have a lot of like fun and a lot of craziness. And like, now to think about my daughter during I'm like, Oh, I'm not sure. <laughs> Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, Hysteric. I feel like I was, yeah, I feel like prepared for that though. Like I felt like I, I knew how to be responsible. I knew how to like stop drinking at a certain time to like make sure I'd catch my last train home. And if I didn't, I knew I'd have to sleep at right. the train station. Europe, like it's very different and like no parents to call in the middle of the night to come pick you up. Right. Right. So I think going from that, knowing like I had the parent support in high school, and then afterwards, knowing that I didn't have that parent support because they were on the other side of the world. This is before email and before Facetime right. and before all that kind of stuff. It was something that had to, be like, it had to be on me, right? Like, it's it was an interesting. I
0: haven't really thought about it in that way
1: until you just said that.
0: It's a hugely crucial thing that that allowing people their consequences while they're still under your roof, mm-hmm. while you're helping them and teaching them. So it's not like. If they're doing something that's worth being grounded over, ground them, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, and teach them a lesson, but make sure you explain why they're being grounded in, in that anger and that fear. Because a lot of times I think what happens is parents react out of fear and they get angry and that can really come through. It can actually really push that kid away as opposed to allowing them the freedom to come and talk about certain Mm. situations. And and I want to say this because this is a very uncomfortable thing for parents to talk about, including like my mom, I think she had a difficult time talking about this with me. But as addiction and and trauma-related substance abuse goes, we don't have a good sexual health either. And that's hugely important because when it comes Mm -hmm. to addiction, we do a lot of damage to our sexual health and that because a lot of us aren't taught, what Mm -hmm. does sexual health look like? And unfortunately Mm -hmm. as uncomfortable as it is for parents to talk about their teenagers about sexual health, that's when teenagers start having sex is in their teenage years Mm -hmm. under your roof at home Or when they go off to college pretty quickly, that's when it is happening. And we don't know about the sexual health at that point. And that is very much tied into substance abuse. And I know that a lot of people don't even think about that. And they shy away from that conversation. But if we shy away from that, then they can't come and talk to the parents about what's happening And if you just say, no, you're not allowed to have sex, well, (laughs) they're probably going to do it anyway. (laughs) And do it more than they would have normally if you just let them do it. (laughs) Right. And they don't have guidance or wisdom through healthy sexual practices,
1: <laughs> you yeah, know? Yeah, that's a good point. wonder like if in the, in Finland, right? Finland, they are very open and they talk about all these things and actually don't the teenagers get some sort of like sexual orientation package or some sort of thing like that when they turn of a certain age or whatever. But yeah, it's really interesting but how it, like, it, yeah. the more they talk about it, the less likely it is to be uh, an issue, right? And, so, and it's
0: so uncomfortable, I get it. But yeah,
1: (laughs) we've had Amy Lang on the show before and she's the birds, the bees and Mm -hmm. um, kids.com. And she's just fantastic about like how to bring this up in conversation and have these awkward conversations. And she makes them really funny too. So um, she was really great to, to go back and listen to that episode with her. She was awesome.
0: I'm going to listen to that episode. Yeah, She's really great. It's a really hugely important thing to know how to do. Now, normally when the parents come to me, we're way beyond that topic. Mm Mm-hmm. But this is the proactive version of saying, my kid's at risk, maybe we need to start looking at how to make sure that they don't go down that road. Right. <laughs> yeah, that's a
1: good point. So yeah. do you think like in like, in when the kids are in high school, then like, what does that look like for parents, like on a day to day basis? Do we let them have more free reign than we would normally like, but we have that conversation or like how I don't even know how to like that would look on a day to day basis?
0: And I think there's a balance with that. And one of the things that I think is hugely important is like, and what I tell parents. So when they come to me and, and this relates to even how they are in high school. So when they come to me, I make sure they understand that I never tell a parent what boundaries they need to be setting. I think it's really important that the parents build off of their own foundation and set the boundaries that they feel the most comfortable with while being of service to their kids and to themselves, most importantly. Mm-hmm. How it looked for me, and I can speak for me, where my mom was a really, really busy person. She was that senior executive at a very large bank, and she she was mostly raised me by my That I did have a stepdad enter into my life at 13. But for the most part, like she's the one that kind of spent the most time raising me and building that foundation. And she was so busy that it, it was, we didn't really have time to go into all of this stuff. And a lot of times, even growing up, she would say, as I'm dealing with my addiction and as I'm dealing with all of this stuff, she's like, oh my God, I just don't have time to deal with this had she had made just a little bit of time prior to cuz you know hindsight being 2020 20, but carving that time out for the kids to really connect to really be present not just out of obligation cuz you want to hang out with your kids is hugely impactful on the kids foundation mm-hmm. and stability so i think that it's important to listen to your kid And what they have to say about what are their needs? What are the boundaries that they need? Because they will tell you if you're listening carefully enough. (laughs) So I think that's important is, is like parents need to listen to the kids about mm-hmm. what they're telling them and then set boundaries from that place that are not reactive. Mm. That are yeah, that's responsive.
1: Good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like that. I mean one of the things that my parents did again in the teen and I've talked to them about this before that they were young parents. Like they were I think I'm in their thirties when I was in my teens. And so, mm-hmm. um, like I remember being, I think I was 12 at my mom's 30th birthday. Like, so we're like pretty young. And so one of the things that they, they, they say afterwards, I had no idea what they were doing, but they, I think one of the things that they, I took away from their parenting skills when I trying to parent my own kids is that they would always say that they, they trusted my judgment and they, they trusted me mm-hmm. to make good decisions and that I had a good head on my shoulders and that I, I would do the right and given the opportunity. And they'd always believe that until proven wrong, which I think that was quite good. And I felt like, I felt like that if I was in trouble or if I was going to do something wrong, they would pop up in my head and be like, it wasn't, I was never afraid of getting in trouble with them. Never. It was more of, I was afraid of disappointing them or like letting them down because they had said they trusted me in my judgment. And I don't know if that's the right way or the wrong way, but it seemed to have like every time I went to go do something that I knew I shouldn't have, I was like, to ah. have to like look at them and like tell them that I like did this and then like them be disappointed or whatever, right? Like, I remember a particular situation where I got my driver's license and I was about to drive all my friends home from a party, and I got pulled over by the police for drinking and driving, and I hadn't, I hadn't, wasn't drinking and driving. They thought I was. And so I remember, like going through my head, I'm like, thought' oh, they're gonna, be, they're gonna be so disappointed because they let me have yeah. the car tonight and drive my friends around." And you know, it's one of those things that I think that seemed to have worked for me. I don't know if that's the good way or the right way or the wrong way, but it seemed to have been something that that worked for me. I think.
0: I think I I really, really do believe that giving people freedom and the trust and empowering the kids Mm -hmm. to make those decisions and then being able, like when they make a decision that's probably not of service to them, allow them to learn from it. Allow mm-hmm. them to grow from it, but maybe you do have to ground them if they make poor decisions, but make sure they understand why, and usually the kids will be really responsive if like, they know they made a bad decision, and you just mm-hmm. allow them the freedom to really learn from that mm-hmm. and not feel like they are getting in trouble, but that they are being allowed their consequences to their Mm. behaviors, you know, Mm. and that's hugely important is letting them learn how to take responsibility for (laughs) themselves and allow them their consequences. Right. But you also have to set up those conditions and expectations that says, you know, if this happens, then this is what's going to transpire. So if you make this right. decision, then this is what we're going to have to do. And then they already yeah. know they're signing up for it. You know, yeah, like you go drinking tonight, there's a six a.m. alarm clock on the side of your bed. We're going to get up and go for a walk. Right. right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So it's like, yeah, if you're waking up hungover, we're going to continue about the day And you're grounded, but you're going to have to suffer through the hangover and and learn that lesson. But but a lot of people do go into fear in those Mm -hmm. situations, and they get really reactive because they're scared. Mm. But taking a deep breath and just responding to stuff like that and saying, what do I want my kid to learn right now? Because they're going to drink more than likely. They so are scary, go- <laughs> yeah. but they need to learn what are yeah. the consequences for the mm-hmm. drinking. And mm-hmm. so I think that's hugely valuable. Yeah.
1: Those are some great tips. Uh, anything else before we, uh, let you go and we could talk about this topic all day long, I think, cause there's so <laughs> many things that we need to learn as parents to really help us like get through these uh, kind of scary times that are ahead for a lot of people the teen years used to be like a scary time
0: (laughs) and especially with all
1: the technology and all the the new drugs that are out there and the things that are really dangerous right now so um how do you have any tips for how to how to uh, navigate our way around those things in the times that there are right now
0: i think i think the biggest the number one tip that i want for parents to come away with i think is that as human beings in general parents me you, I don't think we do this by ourselves. We don't know everything. And I don't claim that parents yeah. should always know everything about everything. And I think that if there's a challenge or a struggle and someone's sitting back going, I don't know how to deal with this, find someone that can be a guide to help you through that And that's kind of what I do is I just simply guide people to bring the best versions of themselves to the table through this. I just don't tell everybody what to do. And I think that in this world, there's so many people that know, like your, your podcast where the birds and the bees and, and that person, like, you know, a lot of parents are going, I have no idea how to talk to my child about this. Find help. get help. If you're sitting there going, I don't know how to deal with this. Someone else does allow them to help you.
1: (laughs) Mm, That's a good point. And quickly, before we uh, wrap up again, what are some signs that we should be looking for that maybe our kids are in trouble um, Mm -hmm. and maybe hiding?
0: So if there is trauma, if you can start seeing, and sometimes parents don't know that there's trauma, mm. but if you do know there's trauma, that's a big one. If they seem to start falling in with like the quote unquote wrong crowd, it's because they're looking for a connection mm. They and to figure out what it is that they need to be connected to. So mm. if they do start doing that, that's a big sign. If they start isolating, if they start pushing away from you, if they have siblings and they feel like they're not good enough or they're they're constantly being compared to their siblings or they're trying mm. to get the attention from from the parents in unhealthy ways. Those can be some signs. It's not a definite, but it's mm-hmm. definitely triggers. It's definitely red flags yeah. to be paying attention to.
1: Yeah. Something definitely to be uh, looking out for. So thank you for those tips. Those are yeah. really helpful. And uh, Jennifer, where can we find out more information about you? How can we work with you and, uh, take us, take us there.
0: So you can, uh, the best place to go is actually my website. It's, uh, Manili is spelled M A N E E L Y and then consulting.com. And I have, you know, my program is there. I, I give my free version of the ebook that I wrote that you had mentioned about mm-hmm. from there. So that's the best way to get into contact with me
1: okay awesome well thank you so much for being with us today this has been super valuable and I hope parents out there you're listening to the things that Jennifer's been saying and the tips she's given us have been fantastic and uh I really do uh, wish you luck in the teen years and <laughs> and if we can just have those conversations earlier on I think be open connect with your kids spend time with them uh I think, think that will help help us through these through these scary years right <laughs> all right thank you Jennifer for being with us
0: Thanks for having me Thank you for listening to the Blissful Parent Podcast. For complete transcriptions of this show, as well as helpful links to resources
1: mentioned in this episode, please visit our website at theblissfulparent.com.